In the name of God, amen. Some sermons turn us out toward the world, and I love those sermons. Some sermons turn us in toward each other, and I like those too. But sometimes the hardest sermons to preach are the ones your heart most needs to hear. The ones that turn us in even further, that tend to the heart. I wish to speak to you about loneliness. It's an age-old condition, one that our forebears knew. Consider Elisha preparing for old man Elijah to depart in a whirlwind. Elisha is the top student, the devoted disciple, the chosen one. And they travel together. They love each other. They are deep companions because their work centers on God. Elisha worries about big shoes to fill, but he also prepares to grieve because he loves his mentor. In today's text, we join the prophetic duo on their farewell tour of the cities where Elijah did amazing things. And each stop, the prophets come out and they say, you know, Elijah's about to leave. And Elisha says, yeah, I know, but shh, let's not talk about it. And then Elijah begins to depart, but Elijah clings to his side. As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. On to the next town, and the same routine takes place. The prophets come out, and Elisha says to be quiet. And then, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, Elijah, I will not leave you. I think Elisha is afraid of loneliness. And then finally, Elijah crosses the Jordan and rolls his jacket into a Moses-style staff. The waters part in clear reference to the Red Sea as they wrangle over the estate planning. And then Elijah asks for a double share of the prophet's spirit, the true inheritance of the legitimate heir. Then Elijah ascends into heaven, leaving poor old Elisha on his own. And you know he's not his best self here. I think he's struggling with loneliness and a feeling of insecurity because when some boys come by and mock him and they say, and I quote, Go away, bald head, go away, bald head. Elisha summons two she-bears from the woods to maul 42 of them into pieces, thus saith the Lord. And thank you for asking. Yes, I do have a clay statue of a she-bear with a bow in her hair chomping on a foot, as if Bigfoot Sasquatch went to the beauty parlor and came out hungry. This story is hilarious. But it also illustrates the way loneliness can distort our world. Sure, Elisha gets a double share of Elijah's spirit. He prophesies to kings and performs even more great miracles. But at first, he's a little testy because of his follicular challenge. Elisha's lonely. He's insecure. And David Luce gets it right. To be a prophet is not to be a solitary figure, standing at a distance in order to predict the future or call upon the judgment of the Lord. Rather, to be a prophet is to enter deeply into the relationships of the people, 
To be a prophet is to love God's people enough to tell them the truth. Elijah and Elisha are not Stoics. They are bound to each other and even to the surrounding nations. Indeed, you and I are social creatures, even those prophets among us. And the key to meaningful connection is joining what Thomas Berry has called the great work, soulful work toward the good of the whole with God at the center, focused on things of ultimate worth. Consider today's gospel. I wonder if Peter's terrified because he knows he's about to lose his rabbi and his friend to the cross. Who could blame Peter for wishing that this transfiguration moment would not end? He's up there with James and John and Jesus, Moses, Elijah, and all the symbols of glory. Mark's Old Testament illusions shine like a thousand stars in the night sky. We remember Daniel's dazzling white clothes in that righteous court. Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets, the truth of God speaking in this still small voice because God wasn't in the fire and God wasn't in the earthquake and God wasn't in the whirlwind, but rather in the still small voice that sends Elijah back to the palace to talk to Ahab and Jezebel and to speak for God's justice. God showing up on the mountain so many times Peter wanting to build a festival of booths to symbolize the end of time. But the text climaxes clearly, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. You know, the community that forms there, up on that mountain, is exactly the kind of connection we need right now. It is not staff-planned. You don't have to sign up for it on a jot form. It's unexpected, and it's beautiful. And that's why Peter wants it to last. Jesus is at the center of this gathering, and there is joy. But you know what it's not? It's not a group text gripe session. It's not mutual enemy intimacy, the kind of home gathering with a couch pillow that says, if you don't have anything nice to say, Come sit by me. It's just dear friends and the greatest prophets ever gathered with Jesus, called beloved, and we are told to listen. This is my commandment, he will say on Monday, Thursday, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can you imagine the joy his disciples felt around him? They have left everything to follow this man. Some dropped their nets on the beach in the middle of a catch, feet still sandy. You know they loved him. And I imagine they grieved him deeply once he departed. What about you and me? If I'm hearing you correctly, you are lonely. You are feeling isolated. And many of us are struggling because we don't know when this pandemic will end. Even before COVID, the CDC identified loneliness as a major health challenge. For adults aged 45 and older, loneliness is as bad for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 
It's defined as a subjective feeling of disconnection, and social isolation is a lack of meaningful relationships. And people report either or both of these feelings have a 50% increased risk of dementia, a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, higher rates of depression, addiction, and suicide. And the truth is, when you're lonely and isolated, chances are you will die young. It's no exaggeration to say that loneliness is killing us. This is from the CDC's website yesterday. And even before the pandemic, almost half of American adults, not just folks in their 80s and 90s, but adults aged 45 and up, said they were feeling lonely and socially isolated before COVID. Now it's that much worse because the folks who have to be the most careful with COVID are also the ones most hurt by social isolation. You are the saints who have lost your friends and neighbors and colleagues and sometimes, tragically, even your spouses. You may find yourself in new buildings, which, though helpful, remove you from the routines and the neighborhoods you knew for decades. You are hurting. You are isolated. And I want you to know on Valentine's Day, that you are loved. We love you. So what's to be done? First, let's do no harm. Let's all keep social distance for the common good until it's safe to gather. And then let's throw a giant All Saints party, the kind that Alvin says we know how to throw, that Pat tells stories about, that Ellen blushes about, the kind you remember for years. And second, let's Get creative about our care for each other. If you know someone who is lonely, I invite you to help them feel connected. If you are feeling lonely and isolated, please reach out and let us help. Especially in the midst of this terrible pandemic, your clergy and pastoral care committee are working overtime to connect with you in every way we can imagine. If you make a prayer request, we are going to call you. We're doing worship and small groups and Sunday school online, and I want you to know that we are here for you. If you're at Canterbury Court, please reach out to St. Karen Evans, who you know will take care of you and remember everything you talk about. If you're living by yourself, reach out to Denny Moss as often as you want. She will listen deeply She'll tell you about her dogs, Emile, Jules, and Pierre, bien fait les chiens, and she'll be completely wonderful, and she might even speak French because she's practicing French. For some of us, even a hug or a handshake is 11 months in the rear view mirror, fading like twilight. So if you're feeling lonely or depressed or anxious, the bravest thing you can do is to ask for help. Call me or Zach or Simon or Sarah or Denny or Karen or the Pastoral Caroline. I promise you do not have to be in a crisis to call us. I promise we are not too busy to be your pastors. That's why we're here. Third, let's work to end the stigma around mental health counseling. I'm so proud to see my therapist regularly. And I can't recommend it highly enough. Therapy helps us 
understand and process and release emotions, especially the hard ones, anger, sadness, anxiety, and fear, so that we can understand ourselves better, finding deeper compassion, empathy, connection. And this is the path to deeper satisfaction, meaning, and joy that God longs for all of us to know deep down. And finally, we need your help. Because the most authentic connections, the truest, realest, smallest, most meaningful community will always be organic, and it will always be lay-led, coming from the bottom up, from the grassroots, from you. It won't be a staff initiative. I bet there's someone in this community that you have not seen or talked to in a long time. I invite you to text them or call them, even right now. Skip the rest of the sermon if you want to. It's Valentine's Day. Tell them how much you love them, how much they mean to you. If it's true that loneliness is as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and we are isolated like never before, then we need each other like never before. So how might God be calling you to create Christ-centered community of joy, of meaning, of connection on your own particular mountaintop? I have a couple saints in mind this morning. I'm thinking of Ivy, who read for us this morning, who also bakes delicious things and shared Valentine's Day with the folks here gathered. I'm thinking of Alvin Moore and Jane Vickers. As many of you know, and as they've given me permission to share with you this morning, this has been a hard stretch for both of them. Alvin buried his brother and his mom just a few months ago. Jane and Larry recently buried their son. And sometimes Jane and I connect on the way to or from the cemetery. It's a quiet and knowing connection. And you know as well as I do that this altar is their prayer for us and with us every single Sunday. Those flowers shine like a rainbow that makes you pull the car over and take a picture. Those linens are cared for like a child's pajamas. I don't mean in some kind of precious way, but rather as embodied prayers to the glory of Almighty God. So when we realized that we couldn't do Ash Wednesday in person this year, Alvin and Jane got to work. Eighty of you have already signed up to get ashes today at noon, and if you didn't sign up, come anyways because we made extra. And if you can't come today, call the office this week. We'll have them waiting for you at the desk. We made extra. We made them for you. And there's plenty of good room at this table. And when you come, you're going to find a little packet of ashes. They've been packed by hand with a note inviting you to pray the service on Wednesday night with this whole gathered cloud of witnesses. And this is the point. Alvin and Jane prayed for you as they prepared those ashes. They They prayed for each and every one of us. So whether you're imposing ashes on yourself or whether you're feeling the thumb of a grandchild or somebody else, please remember that you are loved. You are not alone. 
You are joining the prayers of this sacred community and we are all in this together and I promise you, God will get us through together. Amen.